You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Today, we're actually going to be starting a new series. Um, as most of you all know, we've been in the looking at the attributes of God for about 12 weeks now. Uh, we've covered a fair few of them. There's still, still one more attribute I'd like to cover, uh, but that one's a bit trickier, so I need a bit more time to prepare that one. So we will duck back to the attributes for one week just to, just to cover this last one. Um, but today, we're going to dive in and start a new one. Um, so over the 12 weeks, we've looked at God and his attributes and how how God is uh, fully every single one of his attributes and that you can't, we've learnt that you can't choose what attributes you like about God and ignore the ones that you don't like about God. Um, we've learnt that um, every single one of God's attributes are who he is and without one of them, he would cease to be who he is. It cease to be God. We've learnt that we can't choose the attributes that we like and ignore the ones that we don't. Otherwise, we cease to serve and worship the one true God. Over the weeks, we've looked at the aseity of God, the truth of God, God is just, the wisdom of God, the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God, the grace of God, the holiness of God, the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God, the immobility of God, the love of God, and the one that we still need to cover is the wrath of God. All these attributes are all part of God. Without any one of these, he would cease to be God. I hope that through this series it has revealed more about who God is and his character brings you closer to him. I know just with me, we're preparing him. It certainly opened my eyes a lot more to who we serve and who our God is. If you missed any of them or you're keen to catch up on one of them or can't remember one that we've covered out of that list, then they're all on the podcast because it's, it's been quite a while we've been in this series. It's been started about a year ago. So... Feel free to catch up on the podcast, but can I encourage you to keep seeking who God is and finding his character and who he is in his word because that's the best way that we grow and in relationship with him and who he is. So after that recap, uh, the next series we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through the book of Hebrews. So now just for some of you that like to use their, their, phone, uh, their Bible on their phone, if you're not too sure, the book of Hebrews is in the New Testament just to clarify, um, and it's actually pretty pretty well known for the only book of the Bible that has a, a pretty common dad joke to, attached to its name. Um, a bit more of the overview on Hebrews, though, is the author is unknown. Many scholars and many people have tried to align who the author is. Many say it's Paul, some say it's Barnabas, and others Apollos. But ultimately, we just don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. So we have to come to the conclusion that only God knows who wrote, who wrote the book. Just because we don't know who the author is, it doesn't mean that it's not important. After all, it's in God's word. It still brings living, the living word of God to our lives. Uh, the book of Hebrews is written to the Jewish Christians around, the time, uh, around Jerusalem, near the time that Jerusalem had been destroyed in 70 AD. That was the first real war between the Jewish and the Roman people where the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. They believe Hebrews to be written after that event for the Jewish Christians. We find a bit about, about the church a bit in Hebrews 10, 32, 34, what says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured hard struggles with suffering, sometimes being punished, uh, publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partnered with those who with those so treated. 
For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plunders of the property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Sort of gives us a bit of an insight as well that, that the church, when they were serving Christ and walking for Christ, they suffered uh, prosecution and some put in prison on this world, as the Bible tells us that we will. Um, but due to this, some of them had slipped away from their faith. Some of them had slipped away from Christ and fallen away. We get a bit of an insight there of why the letter was written to, to um, Jewish Christians. That's only one of the reasons, though. But, but this is one of the many reasons Hebrews was written, to encourage and lift up Christ. Uh, the other ones are to encourage people and to lift up Christ above all. We see in Hebrews that the author uses the first five books of the Bible known as the Torah in Jewish culture. The author, uses, the author uses, uses a lot of references from the first five books to elevate Christ above, uh, above the old law and to elevate Christ over four massive parts. As we'll see as we go through, through Hebrews, we see that the author elevates Christ above, that he's more superior than angels and the Torah. Torah. We see that in chapters 1 to 2. We see that Christ is more superior to Moses in chapters 3 to 4. We see he's more superior to the old, the priest of old in chapters 5 to 7. We see him more superior over the old laws and sacrifices and covenants in chapters 6 to 10 from the wilderness in the Old Testament. Through these chapters, we also get warnings of the cost of not following Christ, as we will see as we go through the scripture. Then the last few chapters, the author teaches about enduring in faith and that God never leaves us. So after that quick overview of Hebrews and what we're going to find out as we go through the book of Hebrews, today we're going to do just a bit of an intro and we're only going to look at the first three verses. So if you'd like to turn to me to Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. What says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So just from the first three verses, we can see the author starts to build his point of Christ being elevated high above all other laws and other ways of the Old Testament. We see the author talk about the supremacy of Christ. If we look up the word supremacy, the meaning is state or condition or being superior to all others in authority, power and status. And we see that as in the first few verses of Hebrews, we start, uh, we see the author starting to elevate Christ above all things. We, hear, we see him state that the facts of Christ, he is more powerful, he has more authority, he is more superior to the old ways. So starting at verse 1 and 2, we see the author start the letter that in many ways God had spoken to their fathers. And we see in the Old Testament this is true. The first part in verse 1 is that it states fairly clearly that God spoke. These two words are great insight into God. He's not just a God that we should think about and why he stays silent in the background, but he's a God that is communicates to us. He's not silent. He's not a silent God, but he's a God to be listened to and understood. He speaks so that we might know him and love him so that we can serve him in joyful obedience to him. 
we see in the first two verses that God spoke in two different ways. We have he spoke through the prophets to our fathers and speaking, uh, we see him speaking before Christ and then we have God speaking through Christ. So looking at the first part, we see God spoke in many ways through the Old Testament. Uh, to get an insight in this, we can go to Numbers 12, 6 to 8. What says, and he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And behold the form of the Lord. Why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So we get a bit of insight of the Lord speaking in many ways. We've got directly to Moses and then we've got through the prophets as well in that. Um, we see here that in the Old Testament, God spoke, uh, speaks to the fathers through the prophets. It wasn't, it wasn't really God's trait to form the clouds into what he wanted to say or to even send postcards to his people just to let them know exactly what's going on. As much as that would be cool, um, just imagine the picture on the front of those postcards. Imagine God's a pretty good photographer. But um, as epic as that would be, that's not the way that it says that he spoke. We see in Hebrews that he spoke to the fathers through the prophets. But one thing we need to grasp through this is God was speaking to everyone through the prophets, not just the prophets. God was still speaking to each of the fathers through the prophets. He wasn't just speaking to the one guy for that for that one guy, but he was using the prophets to speak to everyone on a personal level. When the fathers heard and understood the prophets, they heard God speaking. God uses, uses chosen, inspired human instruments to speak to the fathers. So that's the first way God spoke, spoke to us. But now, as it says in verse 2, that God has spoken through the coming of Christ. God has not just spoken by inspiring prophets and apostles. He has spoken by the coming, coming to us in a person of his son who Jesus was, what he said and what he accomplished by dying and rising from the dead is God's word to us. This is what God has said and what, what we should hear, what we need to listen to far more earnestly than what we actually do. The author of Hebrews is trying to get the point across that in the Old Testament we can, we can read and see God was eager and ready to communicate himself to the people of Israel. But how much more is he ready to communicate and eager to communicate through his son? What, he, what, what he's trying to help us see is that there is no third phase of how God speaks. The second, which is through Christ, is much greater than the last phase of communication. Is from God. How much more powerful, how much more supreme is that than the ways of old? What do I mean by that? There's a couple of key timing words in these two verses. And that is verse 1, we see the words long ago, which directly references the Old Testament and the way God spoke. And in the start of verse 2, we see in the last days, where it speaks to how God is still speaking. Just before we move on, uh, there was not an end in these verses to Christ speaking through the prophets, as it doesn't say formally God spoke through the prophets, but he still does in a way. But that's for another chapter in Hebrews. Just keep that in mind. We'll cover that as we move through. We see, we see points of contrast in these two verses. First of all, we see long ago versus the last days. And what, what we see is the timing um, of the two periods. We see the recipients of the revelation. In verse 1, we have the fathers. In verse 2, we have us. And we have to contrast the prophets in verse 1 and the son in verse 2. 
what uh, what are the ways God uses to speak? We see here that these contrasts that when Christ came, this was the final revelation. There is no third phase of God speaking. There is no need for God, no need as God spoke finally and fully through the Son. There is no new new way to speak. No need for new books of the Bible. No need for a third phase as through Christ. All is explained, and God has spoken through his son. If you're looking for God to speak, jump into the word and read the word. But the point the writer of Hebrews is this. The word that God spoke by his son is is a decisive word. It will not be followed in this age by a greater word or a replacement word. This is the word of God, the person of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and the work of Jesus. What brings us to the next part of verse 2, what says, He is appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. We see in this verse that the author says, Christ is heir of all things. And we see it written in Psalm 2. So Psalm 2, 7 and 12 says, I tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I'll make nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O king, be wise, be warned, O ruler of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and perish in your way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. And we also see in the next part of verse 2 is through, through whom he also created the world. So John 1, 3. It says, all things were made through him, and without him there was not anything made that was made. Christ is the heir of all things, making him different and better from the prophets. By that we can take confidence in who Christ is as the Son of God. A prophet can't do anything to make the word come true. He fully relies on God and God to work through that prophet. But when, but when Christ came... We, we can take confidence and guarantee that what he promises will come true because he has power and authority over all things to succeed in the plan that he set from the start. We see the power and authority in his full deity shown in the next part of scripture that says that's in whom all creation was made. We see the second phase of God speaking is better and more complete as God himself as it is God himself. And we have learned from the last series that God can't deny himself. We can take confidence in confidence said confidence in him as it says in the word. On the last days the word of God is complete through Christ. The word will never be added to, and take confidence in that through Christ we are saved and it is finished. What brings us to verse three of Hebrews? What says his radiant his radiance of glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now this verse corresponds with the last part of verse 2. In a way, and build build the case of the supremacy of Christ over the old way. The first part of the verse says his radiance of glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. This is an important verse that we need to understand fully, who Christ was. He was fully God and fully man. John Piper has a pretty good example, um, so I'm going to borrow that example, um, but this is John Piper's work. Um, it says, Jesus relates to God 
the way radiance relates to glory, the way the rays of sunlight relates to the sun. Keep in mind that not every analogy between God and natural things is imperfect and will destroy if you press it. Nevertheless, consider this example. There is no time that the sun exists without beams of radiance. They can't be separated. The radiance is co-eternal with the glory. Christ is co-eternal with God the Father. The radiance is glory radiating out. It is not essentially different from glory. Christ is God standing forth as a separate but not essentially different from the Father. Thus, the radiance is eternally begotten, as it were, by the glory, not created or made. If a solar active calculator in the sunlight numbers appear on the face of the calculator, these, you could say, are created or made by the sun, but they are not what the sun is. But the rays of the sun are extension of the sun. So Christ is eternally begotten of the Father, but not made or created. We see the sun, the sun by means of seeing the rays of the sun. So we see God the Father by seeing Jesus. The rays of the sun arrive here about eight minutes after they leave the sun. And the round ball of fire that we see in the sky is the image. The exact representation of the sun, not because it's a painting of the sun, but because the sun streams forth in its radiance. So when we see the Father by seeing Christ, we we can see the Father by looking at Christ. As he is not the Father, but he radiates who the Father is and he represents the Father. The only way to the Father is through Christ, as we see in John 14, 6-7. What says, Jesus says to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. If they had known me, they would know the Father also. From now on, you do know you do know him and have seen him. Jesus radiates the Father. He's the exact imprint of God's real being in nature and attributes and character for himself. For in himself, Christ is fully God. The next part of verse 3 says, And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Once again, we see the supremacy of Christ as an image of God and is God. And is God. He has created all things and through all things he has authority. In all things that have been created, there is not a single thing that has not been created by God. Saying he, he truly has authority over all and has all power over all. Colossians 1, 15 and 17 says, He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Then if we look look at the part of verse 3, what it says after, after making purifications for, for the sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We see that it talks in past tense in this part of the verse, in a way of completion. It tells us that he was successful in his plan to purify us from our sins. Christ was successful in his mission. He was successful from the day it was put into motion by the plan of God. We see the second phase of God's plan here as well. From the old law, every sin, every sin needed a certain sacrifice in a way to cleanse them. And that was just for that one sin. If it happened again, they would have to sacrifice again. It was an ongoing, never complete, never finalised washing of sins. But in the second phase, we see that Christ died and was raised again. We see God's word through the gospel, through Christ, that we are washed clean. 
There is nothing that can be washed clean, but there is nothing that can't be washed clean by the blood of Christ. He died and rose again. He defeated the power of sin and death over our lives and gave us a way back to the Father after we rebelled against him. And the grace we don't deserve, and yet he came for us. He, he has purified all that choose him. We all know this scripture pretty well, but it sort of, yeah, John 3, 16, 21 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in, in, the, in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment, the light that has come into the world. The people love darkness rather than light because the work, the works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. It does not come to it, to the light. Least the work should be exposed. But whoever does what, what is true comes to the light so that it may be clear, clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. God gave his son to come and live and die and defeat the power of sin and death in our lives so that his anger will be removed from us and our sins, and that we will be forgiven. Through what Christ did on the cross, our hearts can be purified. This he did once and for all, never to be repeated, because he, his work of sin-bearing was perfect. After Christ completed the plan, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, meaning that his work was complete, the work of salvation was complete, the perfect plan of salvation was completed in Christ. Christ was successful in all that he did. There's no need for a third phase as Christ did not fail, but he triumphantly sat down next to the father with all power and authority over all things. And this is, this is the image the author of Hebrews is getting across. It's the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is far more important in the ways of old, that Christ is elevated to that position, the one true God. And we see more of that through, as we go through Hebrews. Um, but as you can see, there's a lot to focus on as that, that whole thing was just three verses in Hebrew. So it's slightly worrying that we could be in Hebrews for 40 years, but we'll, we'll try and move through it. Um, what's even more worrying, though, is in if you keep reading in Hebrews 13, 22, the author of the book actually says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with, your word, bear with my word of exaltation, for I've written to you briefly. And if Hebrews is a brief overview of everything, then how much more is there that we need to learn <laughs> to understand? It's, it's pretty scary, but um, it's, it's encouraging that there's heaps more to, to learn. And hopefully we'll um, learn together as we go through Hebrews. So I'll leave it there. I might pray and I'll hand back to Ian. So, Father, we, we thank you that, that you came. Jesus, we thank you that you died on that cross, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that what you did, Lord, was, was complete, Lord, that that there's nothing that, that was failed of, of your mission. Jesus, we thank you that we're saved by your blood. We thank you for the gift of faith, and we thank you, Lord, that you're with us. Lord, continue to teach us by your word, continue to mould us by your word, and, and help us take your name out to the whole world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.